Mission Church, uh, thank you guys for being here on uh, what normal people who attend Mission or are members here is their favorite Sunday. And I say that not because uh, tomorrow is Christmas Eve and the next day is Christmas, but this is historically the shortest sermon of the year. And with all that, God's people rejoice um, and sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lamb, right? Um, but thank you guys for coming and for joining us here, um, here at Mission Church this morning as we focus in before things get really crazy in the next uh, 48 hours or so to really focus in on the person and work of Jesus this morning. And so Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we're glad that you are here. It's a wonderful life. Now, as a person who uh, is very nostalgic when it comes to Christmas time, um, I grew up in a home where uh, Christmas started rather early. Um, as my mom, back in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, she had something kids called a jam box. And if you know what a jam box is, it just means you're old. And we had a jam box. It was bright yellow, looked like a bumblebee. My daddy had gotten it for my mama for Christmas. Nothing says I love you, Merry Christmas, like a jam box. But it was often playing inside of our home. But at a very young age, I was tortured by my dad. They're here today, so I get to pick on them face to face. And so um, I grew up watching really old movies uh, because my dad is notorious for watching the same movie over and over and over and over and over again. If you know what a spaghetti western is, you've also been tortured as a child, abused, neglected, because they came on at the same time as Sunday morning cartoon or Saturday morning cartoons. But in our house, that jam box, that yellow jam box. Uh, was a token of many memories inside of our home as it was often playing throughout the year uh, Maranatha praise and worship music. If you know who that group is or those group of people, um, there were these things called cassette tapes. And my mama was always playing uh, mixed tapes of praise and worship inside of our house. It was, it was very common practice to hear my mom singing or those songs to be playing all the time in our house. But around November or so, Mom would take the jam box, and she introduced me and my sister, again, at a young age, to a singer called Bing Crosby. And Bing is still the best. Um, when he opens up his mouth and sings those Christmas songs, um, and so at nighttime, literally inside of our house for about two months leading up to Christmas, we went to sleep um, hearing songs about jelly and white Christmases, and figgy puddings, and all of those things. And so even to this day, I just have a, a very high appreciation for Bing Crosby and all things Christmas. But one of those things that's very common inside of our culture is in the celebration of Christmas is even our television, statement, uh, television statements get into this kind of idea with the 25 days of Christmas. And you can probably right now turn on TNT and a Christmas story is playing on loop for like the next 72 hours or something. But we love and talk a lot about Christmas movies. And one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is a Christmas movie called It's a Wonderful Life. 
And I watch that movie every year, and every year at the same spots, I ugly cry in two different places. And if you've not seen It's a Wonderful Life, repent, come to Jesus. We hope one day you'll be saved. Um, but inside It's a Wonderful Life, um, where we see that great voice um, from, from James Stewart, right? And he, he has that just nostalgic, classic voice. And uh, in, inside of It's a Wonderful Life, which is considered to be in the top 20 movies of all time, um, we, we learn about this character, this character named George Bailey. And at the very beginning, you, you see and get to peer into George Bailey's life. George Bailey is like the, the type A personality amongst all of his young little friends. He's a little boy of great adventure. He has great hopes. He wants to see the world. He wants to be educated and, and he loves to travel. He's thinking about all these things inside of his life, inside of this small town called Bedford Falls, that he is always, one day I'm going to get out of this place, and I'm going to see the world. I'm going to have all of these adventures. And that's what everyone knows about this young kid. And as he's growing up, this is kind of a stigma that always stays with George Bailey. I've got to get out of this town there's a great life to be lived out there, and, and this small city is keeping me from it. But as you know, if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, it never happens. Every time that, that young George or older George has an opportunity to get educated or to do this or to do that or to do this or to do that, Something within that town, whether it's a friend or family member or bad circumstance, keeps pulling him back to it. To the point where after bad thing, after bad thing, after bad thing, after bad thing happens to George, that he gets to the point on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, his uncle loses, he, he runs a little small bank inside of the city, and in, inside of this situation, his uncle, who's a little loopy in the head, loses $8,000. It's essentially stolen from him. And they begin to freak out. And George begins to freak out. What are we going to do? After all of these bad circumstances, over and over and over again, living this life, but always fantasizing about a better life that's out there. He comes to the conclusion that the only way to save his family and to save their business would be to take his own life. And so on Christmas Eve, he goes into his buddy's bar. He sits down, and he says this, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, oh God. Now, please, do not get your theology from movies. Okay? Because from there on, the theology of angels that it portrays is really, really bad. Okay? But there's a, it doesn't mean it's not a good movie. Okay, also don't get your theology about heaven and angels from little kids on the front of books that says that heaven's for real, either. But inside of this 
story from then on. He's visited by this angel named Clarence, who's a man who passed away, who never got his wings. And so God sends Clarence to help this George realize that life is worth living and that it is a wonderful life. George is at his end to the point to where he's willing again to take his own life, that, Lord, if you're up there, God, if you're up there, if you can hear me, then show me the way I am at the end of my rope. Show me the way, oh God. Recently, confessionally, this is a Christmas confession, um, every time that I watch that movie, I cry watching George live his life wishing He had a different one. And the reason why I cry every year at Christmas when I watch that movie is because that is often my story. In the last few months, I found my place in a similar place to George Bailey. God has really been bringing some sin to the forefront of, of my life, and I was even talking to one of my pastor friends about these issues in my life and confessing to him. And I told him, I said, man, in, in, in these difficult times as of lately, I've never considered myself to be a, a jealous man. I've never considered my, uh, my, myself to be a man who covets a lot. And, and yet, in this season, um, there has been for some reason this, uh, this fantasy that I've had toward people. I found myself wondering, man, what is it like to have kids uh, that don't have severe special needs like what I've got? Man, I, I, I found myself fantasizing as, as you get onto social media and you hear about uh, the number of people that are being baptized in these churches or the churches that are being planted or the numerical growth that's taking place um, inside of these churches because we love to get onto social media and brag about these things. And I, I found myself, man, wondering, man, what is it like to be that dude? Even at our, our Mission Christmas party, I was walking around Forest Park and I was, I was jealous and I was coveting. I was like, man, what is it like? Man, I... I, I have this. Man, I'm longing for that. I'm wanting that. This all came to head this week as I was hanging out with Laura, and something probably really small didn't go right. And I looked at Laura in the kitchen, and her having no idea that I'm wrestling with all of this, And I looked at her and I said, why does everything have to be so hard in our lives? Because honestly, that's the way it often feels. I'm not saying it's right. But that's the way that it often feels. That everything in our lives is really hard. That it never seems to go quite just right. Honestly, I had a lack of contentment. Honestly, this is really hard for me to say, but I felt really sorry for myself, much like George Bailey. I've been reading through the Psalms this year, very slowly and methodically, and recently I came to a Psalm, Psalm 98. 
And so if you have your Bibles and you're still turned there, I want you to crack that open here just for a few minutes here. We're going to look at this psalm and look towards Jesus and speak into us being at the end of our rope and praying to God, if you're up there, if you can hear me, show me the way. In Psalm 98, it says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyful, joyous song and, and sing praise. Sing praise to the Lord with the lyre. And the lyre, and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that it fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I came across this passage, and as I was Meditating and, and just wrestling through this sin that God has brought forth in my life, this, this fantasizing, this wanting a life that it appears on social media or in life that other people have. And yet, man, I'm wrestling with all these things that the simplest things are, are very much filled with labor, that they're hard, that they're, it never appears, because that's the lie that we are often believing, that it's maybe never good or that it's never easy. We like to use those kind of overarching umbrella terms, like it's always tough. I'm at the end of my rope. Where do we go from here? And yet this psalm is known as a declaration. See, fellas, non-singers, the Bible over and over and over again tells us to do what? To sing. To make a, a joyful noise to the Lord. And if we know anything about the psalmist and those who are writing this, things were often terrible. Many of these are laments. Many of these are taking place in the midst of great chaos inside of these men's lives. As they're writing these songs, that they're not without despair and depression and anxiety and wishing that things were different. But it's no, in the midst of those very things, what are the writers of the psalms doing? Writing songs. Writing songs. And specifically, who are they writing songs to? They're writing songs to God. They're writing songs to the Lord. They're not writing songs to a loved one. They're not writing songs to a person that they are in love with. No, they are writing songs to God. They are pleading before the Lord to visit them. But there are also not only laments, but there are these moments inside of the Psalms where there's this great celebration at the realization of who God is to that the Messiah, 
Messiah is coming, and three, that the Messiah will come again. This month, we have been talking about the King Jesus. That King Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies. That King Jesus is uh, the fulfillment of, of the mission. That, that King Jesus has a will. And that King Jesus, as we talk about today, that he will come again. See, brothers and sisters, friends, there are many of us who are placing our joys and our affections in things that do not resemble or are not Jesus. And yet the psalm here is told, is talking about, and is celebrating this idea of the universal kingship of Jesus. That Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, but that Jesus is the king of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. This Christmas, we need to be reminded of these truths. This Christmas, we need to be reminded in the midst of chaos, in the midst where things can always seem tough, that there never seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I don't know about your house, but our house is notorious for a five-minute job taking five hours. All right? My daddy helped me put a door on a house one time. And on the box of that door from Lowe's, it showed a lady. No offense against ladies. I mean, she's lifting this door by herself. She's Xena Warrior Princess. I have no idea. On the side of the box, it says, estimated time, one hour to put in this door. That was an all-day job for two dudes. And one of those dudes, daddy, was a carpenter. All right? It was an all-day. You know what I'm talking about, right? You put up the Christmas tree, and that one strand will not work. So Laura and I have gotten smart. You know what we do? We just put more lights on it. We're not going through all those days of bulbs. Remember that tedious thing? Finally, we got something called technology, right? But we're also too busy with other things to take that strain off. So literally, our tree, we've had it since before we got married. It's the same one, and every year we add a few more strands. You walk in our house, and it glows. Things are tough. It never seems to be easy. It's always difficult, and yet the psalmist is telling us in verse 4, and this is where we're going to hone out and end here. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. And we see that all of this, all of creation, that all things in life, that they are a celebration of the king that has come, but also the king that is coming. This very psalm is not only known uh, uh, as far as being a part of the Old Testament, a beautiful song at it, but it's pointing toward not the birth of Jesus, but the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus. There was a young man 
1719, who was meditating and having a quiet time on these verses. And he began to just read these verses over and over and over and over and over again. Specifically, the verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord. And as he was meditating on the person and work of Jesus and the return of Jesus, this young man who eventually wrote 750 hymns, 750 songs, this young man who was spending time in God's word and focusing on the person and character of God's word, which began to swell up inside of him, this idea of celebration like what he was reading in Psalm 98. This young man's name was named Isaac Watts. You've probably grown up in church singing such songs as When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That was also written by Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts began to focus on Jesus. He began to look at this passage. He began to think about and his affections were being stirred toward the return of Jesus that in the midst of his own personal chaoses and the chaoses that were taking place inside of the world that there was hope because Jesus was not only had not only come as a babe in a manger but that Jesus was going to come again riding a white horse with a tattoo on his leg that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he would have a multitude with him, that he would not come again as some peasant man without a home or a place to lay his head, but know that Jesus would come and he would come to rule and to reign and to judge both the goats and the sheep. That he would come to set up his kingdom. And focusing in on that and looking at those very things, Isaac Watts, wrote a song, and in that song, it was never, ever meant to be a Christmas song. It was meant to be a song thinking and focusing on the return of Jesus. You know this song as joy to the world. Isaac Watts wrote the joy to the world, and if you can remember the, the words here, joy to the world, the Lord has come. The original translation or the original way he wrote it was that not that the Lord has come, but that the Lord is come. We've just screwed it up. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. See, as we have sang this now for years upon years upon years, attributing that to the Christmas season, Isaac Watts' initial uh, desire was that it would be sung not simply at the first advent, but that it would be sung throughout the Christian calendar at the church, as we often forget that Jesus is coming 
back. And that there should be joy in the life of the believer that one day our king will split the heavens wide open and return and get his people, making all of those who feel that they are at the end of their rope by giving them hope in a perfect king named Jesus. At the end of It's a Wonderful Life, If you remember this, he awakens and he prays again. And he says, God, I want to live. He says, God, I I want to live. Knowing that at any moment he could be arrested. And yet, what does George say? He says, I want to live. See, what we learn even inside It's a Wonderful Life is that, that, that George quickly begins to teach us at the end of this movie. That even though it's not changed his circumstance, the, the, the perception or the way in which that he is looking at life has completely changed, that will endure him or strengthen him or empower him to be able to withstand whatever is going to come his way. The threat of losing his job, going to jail, possibly losing his family. And yet George's prayer is that I want to live. I recently read an article where people were talking about this, and this is what it says. Deliverance comes through George's friends and family who show up and pay what he could never pay himself. Out of love, they assume his debt and pay it at a great cost, though also with great joy. They give up their own money, their savings, their vacations, their Christmas plans. They, they give sacrificially to bail out George. Though hopeless, George receives help. Though trapped, he gets rescued. All is grace. None is achieved. All is received. This grace sets George free, restores his status, and provides the joy he's been missing. What a picture of the gospel and how Christ has absorbed our sin debt and paid it himself, allowing us to receive it freely freely and joyfully. Listen to this. Being helpless isn't the same as being hopeless when we look to God's grace to intervene. Brothers and sisters, what a beautiful picture of the truth of the gospel that we get to join in with those who have gone before us, with the heavenly host, that we get to join in in, in, in making a joyful noise to the Lord. Because, see, this is what we know, that in this story that we call the Scripture, it's, it's not multiple stories, it's all one story. And we see Psalm 98 even echoed in the book of Revelation. That when Jesus comes back, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he said, who was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment and to the one who conquers will have the, this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. See brothers and sisters what does Christmas remind us of? It reminds us of the greatest gift, the greatest gift of God's grace, that though you and I, that we could not pay our sin debt, yet Jesus, what does he do? He comes and he absorbs the full wrath of God that you and I deserve, and he drinks it every last drop of it. The death that you should have gotten, Jesus took in order to give a life that you and I have never deserved. And brothers and sisters, no matter how hard it may get me, how terrible it may be, how difficult your life may be, how we fantasize, man, what it would be like to live like that or to have those things. The Christmas reminds us that our greatest joy is not in a thing, but it is in a person, and his name is Jesus. Because the reality is, it is not a wonderful life. It is not. But for those of us who have Jesus, we do have a wonderful king. We have a wonderful king. Who says to the thirsty, you will never be thirsty again. Who says to those who have conquered in his name, all of my inheritance. Do you understand this, church? All that has been given to Jesus, we are the heirs of in his return. So maybe you are like George Bailey. Maybe you are like Eric Baker. And you often find yourself fantasizing about a life that you don't have. You find yourself fantasizing about things that you don't have. You find yourself being jealous. You find yourself coveting. You, you find yourself wanting. Maybe, like George Bailey, you are at the end of your rope, brother and sister. Maybe you're simply praying, I, I do not know what to do. Brothers and sisters, may this Christmas, may you and I, may we turn not our attention simply to what is going on, because again, it is not your best life now. It is a 
terrible, wretched experience on this planet, and yet God is redeeming it all. And one day, much like these earlier Israelites who were longing for a Messiah, we need to not lose hope this Christmas, but we need to be reminded this Christmas that the King has come, but that the King is coming again, and He will set all of this up right. Do not lose hope in the midst of chaos and hopelessness. Because we have a wonderful, wonderful King. Let us pray.